Hey, let's open to Matthew chapter 12. Back to Matthew. Snailing along here, according to some. I'm going to consult the brother historians this morning. I'm I'm among good company here. I love it. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8 right now. Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on, on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath... How on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. And I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, a desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Man, if that isn't something to unpack, you know, have fun at Life Group this week. Uh, as we come to chapter, chapter 12 in Matthew's gospel, we're beginning to get a look at the, the persecution that Jesus is about to undergo. And the kingdom of God, as it's shining on the hearts of men and on Israel, there is going to be a national rejection of Jesus. While people enjoy the actual benefits of being healed and uh, having free bread and all this kind of stuff, when it comes down to the issues of the heart, of actually truly grabbing hold of the bread of life and all these things, people are like, no, we'll have our religion. And that's kind of what it came down to. There was a spiritual blindness and a spiritual hard-heartedness of the Jewish people, and particularly their leaders. And we all are subject to this from time to time. And Matthew's going to point out some of the accusations that these religious leaders started to hurl against Jesus in an attempt to try to destroy him, as we'll read here, but also to redivert the attention off of him and back onto them as they loved power and they loved appearance, as we will read later um, in Matthew. But two of those accusations um, are, are pointed out here in chapter 12. One of them is regarding Jesus um, doing something unlawful on the Sabbath, and that's in verses 1 through 14. Um, and then there's a little section in between there that describes what Jesus is doing out of Isaiah. But the second is about Jesus being the accusation that Jesus is empowered and doing what he's doing because they can't describe it, they can't explain it, that it has to be under the power of the Lord of Flies, under Beelzebub, under Satan. That's who's empowering him. And he talks about the, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus goes into that. And so two major accusations, and those would follow him all the way to the cross. They would be um, regurgitated by the priests and among the people, and, and many people would start to believe what, was, what they were saying about Jesus, that he was a lawbreaker, that he was breaking the Sabbath, that he was violating the Sabbath. His disciples were violating the Sabbath and that he was doing all that he was doing. He was empowered by the evil one. And that's what was going on. And that was their national explanation, even though they knew differently. Even they had inner discussions, as you find out about Nicodemus and others who were just going, yeah, we, we don't know what to do with him, basically. 
And so two lofty accusations and and the Lord's going to reveal a lot about himself, who he is. And that's what we're gathered together here. We want to know him. We don't want to walk around ignorantly of the God that we claim to worship like these Pharisees here, like we so often, you know, are entrapped by. You know, we walk around ignorant saying we love God and yet we act contrary to the nature and character of God and, and the world looks on and they go, man, you guys should know better. Anyone else kind of relate with that? Yeah. These guys, these Pharisees should know better, but they don't. And what the Lord is going to show us is something about himself and something about the nature of the law and all this type of stuff as we go on. And we're going to learn about Jesus. And that's what this whole our focus is this morning and and when we gather. And so what happens in verse one is it says at the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry. They began to pluck the heads of grain to eat. Verse one tells us the setting. It was the Sabbath. Now, how many of you uh, are fully understanding what the Sabbath is? Great. Seven, eight of you. So you get to just hang in here for a little bit. I'm going to give you a little historical context because it really hasn't been mentioned up until this point in Matthew. And I just want to bring us all back. Uh, The Sabbath day comes from the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. And and to refresh our understanding, I'm going to read the fourth commandment out of Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, if you're taking notes here. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God gave the command to the Hebrews and he says, you're to follow in my footsteps. This is your, my command. I made everything in six days and I rested on the seventh. You work six days, you rest on the seventh. That's the pattern he established to the nation of Israel. When Moses came down from the mountain and gave him the 10 commandments, and he broke them and got them again, came down, you know, you remember the story. And so they were come, they were commanded to follow in the pattern of God. The people of God were to follow in the pattern of God. They were to rest on the seventh day. They were to have a Sabbath. And that's what that word Sabbath means. It means rest, by the way. And so just as God rested from his work, so they were command. And by the way, the Jewish, you ever wonder why Andy's is closed like on Friday at sundown? It's because the Jewish day goes from sundown to sundown. So it's Friday night, sundown, and then Saturday night, sundown, the Sabbath is over. So it's Friday night to Saturday night. That's the Sabbath. They were to rest from all work. And so this was a non-negotiable in Jewish life. And, And to break the Sabbath, to work on the Sabbath had serious consequences. Exodus 35, 1 through 3, Moses gathers Israel together. And he wants the, the whole nation to know what the consequences are for breaking the Sabbath. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them in Exodus 35, 1 through 3, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And whoever does, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. 
You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath. So a little clarity there. You work, you die. Don't touch your fireplace. Don't turn on the stove. Like that's how serious God is about his Sabbath as he's commanding this to the Jews. And so Moses clarifies that the penalty for breaking the Sabbath is capital punishment. And, and, and he gives the example there of kindling. So this was not to be like any other day. It was a totally separate holy day. Zero work on the Sabbath for the Jew. And, and you can imagine some people didn't listen. How many didn't? Like you just went through announcements and nobody got like you weren't listening. Don't remember what we said, anything like that. And all of a sudden you're taken out back and you're stoned. <laughs> okay, no, that's not what happened. Everybody really knew what was going on. Everybody, it was commanded, and everybody as a Jew clearly knew, you do not work on the Sabbath. It was ingrained in society. So it wasn't just this one announcement. Everybody, it was repeated. Everybody knew what was going on. And you can imagine some people just didn't listen. They didn't listen for whatever reason. We've got an example of that. Numbers 15, 32 36. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stoned stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Don't work on the Sabbath. I'm going to go grab some sticks. You're dead. Okay. I hope we see the weightiness of the society that Jesus was in. Make sense? Okay, that's, that's a, some background context. You have to keep the Sabbath as a Jew. And this command is repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 31, 13 through 17, chapter 35, 2 through 3, Leviticus 16, 31, chapter 19, 30, 23, 3, 11, 16, 32, chapter 25, Numbers 15, and... Deuteronomy 5. I mean, I just can go. That's just the law. There's just some examples. It's just over and over and over. Make sense? It's not just like a one-time thing. It's repeated over and over and over. And those are just some examples in the first five books there. And so don't work on the Sabbath. I think we all hear that, right? They were to rest from their work. But what happened over time is that the rabbis, and we live in a very legalistic society. We like to define things down to the T, and so did they. And so they want to know what, well, what's work, what is work? Well, what do you mean by work? It's like, okay, we've got the stick part down. Don't gather sticks, but what, what's work? And so the rabbis, I think they just went berserk. And so above and beyond what God had commanded, they began to officially define. They got together in their committees and they studied and they talked back and forth and they began to come up with these oral traditions of what God intended by saying do not work on the Sabbath. And so they began to create all of these man-made rules about the Sabbath that God never created in an attempt to define what God had not defined beyond what he said. 
And the result of that was a burden upon the people that God never intended. If you flip over to the last chapter in chapter 11, Jesus is crying out to everybody. He says, what? Come to me, all you are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. What's he talking about? All of you who have a yoke upon you that I did not put on you. And you've been trudging along and you're under this weight. Come to me. I will give you rest from gentle, humble of heart, lowly, gentle, humble of heart. You know, walk with me. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but now the Jews today, just to give you a a little more historical background, the Jews today have something called the Talmud. The Talmud is a group of writings that was formulated in the first 500 years after Christ's death because the temple got destroyed in 70 AD. Up until that point, it was all oral tradition, It was all oral tradition. They had no need to write things down. But actually, when this temple got destroyed, they had to actually start to formulate stuff. And so they started taking all these oral traditions and they started putting them down. And and, and it's it's, so basically the Talmud is the traditions of the Jews, the rabbinical interpretations of the law all put together in a book. And I know that's oversimplifying things. Some of you are scholars going, it's not technical. I know it's not tech. I'm giving the the uh, easy version of it. Now, in the Talmud, just to let you know, there's a collection of, of chapters there. There's 24 chapters about the Sabbath. 24 chapters about the Sabbath. I mean, how many of you have books that are 24 chapters along? I mean, 24 just on the Sabbath. And over the years, I've read some of the interpretations as I've studied for this type of stuff. And I want to, but as I've been going through MacArthur's commentary, he kind of lays out a cross section of that too. So I just wanted to read from you for a second from his commentary about uh, what, uh, what the Talmud kind of has here. He says regarding traveling, uh, you could travel 3000 feet from some, from one's house, but various exceptions were provided. If you had placed some food within 3000 feet of your house, you could go there to eat it. And because the food was considered an extension of our house, you could then go another 3000 feet beyond the food. This is their interpretation of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Okay. So if a rope were placed across adjoining streets to an a- or an alley, the building on the other side, as well as the alley between, could be considered part of your house. Work around, right? Certain objects could be lifted up and put down only from in, in two certain places. Other things could be lifted up from public place and set down in private one and vice versa. Still, others could be picked up in a wide place and put down in a legally free place, but rabbis could not agree about the meaning of wide and free. It's very difficult. Under Sabbath regulations, a Jew could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. But if an object weighed half that amount, he could carry it twice. Eating restrictions were among the most detailed and extensive. You could eat nothing larger than an olive. Even if you tasted half an olive, found it to be rotten, spit it out, that half was considered to have been eaten as far as the allowance was concerned. Throwing an object into the air with one hand and catching it, with the other, it was prohibited. Uh, if the Sabbath overtook, uh, overtook you as you reached out for some food, the food was to be dropped before drawing your arm back, lest you be guilty of carrying a burden. Tailors did not carry a needle with them on the Sabbath for fear that they might be tempted to mend a garment and, and thereby perform work. Nothing could be brought, bought or sold, and clothing could not be dyed or washed. 
A letter could not be dispatched, even if by hand of a Gentile, no fire could be lit or extinguished, including fire for a lamp, although fire had already lit could be used for certain limits. It says for that uh, for that reason, some Orthodox Jews today use automatic timers to turn on their lights in their homes well before the Sabbath begins. Otherwise, they might forget to turn them on uh, in time and have to spend the Sabbath in the dark. I was in Israel in 2000. And I, I don't know, Eric and Eric, if you I accidentally got on. It was the Sabbath and I got on an elevator that was set up for Orthodox Jews. And I'm sitting here like on the fifth or sixth or seventh. I can't remember the floor. And I got on it, wanted to go down the lobby. I pushed the lobby button and it started going up or, or it started going down. And then it opened and waited. No one got on and off. And it just kept doing that. I'm like, what is wrong with this elevator? I kept pushing the button, you know, as patient as a pastor can be and get down there and got to the bottom. And finally got off, and I found out, oh, that's the, that's the Sabbath elevator, Shabbat elevator, whatever they call it. It's, <laughs> it's because you can't light a fire on the Sabbath, and pushing a button causes a spark, which constitutes a fire. And so Orthodox Jews use that elevator to go up and down, and the next one over was the Gentile elevator. It's like, okay, I'm doing that one, but I mean... <laughs> It's still going on. So baths could not be taken for fear of some of the water might spill onto the floor and wash it. Chairs could not be moved because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground. And a woman was not to look into a mirror lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. You could carry ink enough to draw only two letters of the alphabet. The false teeth could not be worn because they exceeded the weight limit of, for burden. According to those hair splitting regulations, a Jew could not pull off even a handful of grain to eat on the Sabbath unless he were starving, which of course is often a difficult thing to determine and would be cause for considerable differences of opinion. If a person became ill on the Sabbath, only enough treatment could be given to him to keep him alive. Treatment to make him improvement to make him improve was declared to be work and therefore forbidden. To determine just how much food, medicine, or bandaging would be necessary to keep a person alive, and no more was itself an impossible burden. Among the other, uh, the many other forbidden Sabbath activities, and these are. Normal, or sowing, plowing, reaping, grinding, baking, threshing, binding sheaves, winnowing, sifting, drying, shearing, spinning, kneading, separate. You get the idea. And so that's, there's 24 chapters of this. That's the Talmud, which is five, which is the 500 years after Christ and all the rabbinical writings actually put into writing. And this is kind of how it gives us a taste of what was actually going on in the oral traditions of Jesus's day. And this is why in Matthew chapter five through seven, Jesus is saying, you heard it said, but I say unto you, and he's quoting all the Jewish traditions there. Now, as I mentioned that it came along later, the Talmud did, but this is, this is what the, the Jews were under. They were under the oral traditions of men. And, they were man's precepts in a few chapters in chapter 15, Jesus in response to all this nonsense, he quotes Isaiah regarding these men who did this, these leaders in Isaiah 15, nine, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, why? How is that? So verse nine, in vain, do they worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. They've taken their own traditions and placed them on the level with scripture. And this happens so often in religion. 
that somehow we take a person's interpretation of scripture, John MacArthur, anybody else, and we place it on the level of scripture. And that becomes higher than what God said when, or the lens in through which you interpret scripture. Very dangerous stuff. And so hopefully that gives you some context of what was going on as a society and the tension that was going on as Jesus walks in and starts doing the things with Sabbath and starts doing things that were contrary to what these men said was the interpretation of the law. And by the way, the Pharisees came from a group of men. I don't know if you know about the, the story of the Maccabee revolt. The people uh, in between, well, the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were these guys and the Maccabees will just make it very simple. And basically they, they had a revolt against the Romans and they got slaughtered on the Sabbath because they would not fight on the Sabbath. They just let them kill them. And then they came back and fought again. And, and there was, they eventually uh, won a bit, but it was out of that group of men and, and people that the Pharisees arose. Okay. That, that's the, the lineage there. So hopefully that gives you some context there. And so again, in verse one, it says at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Oh no, 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 no. According to chapter 22, subjection five, blah, 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 blah. Verse two, it says, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. There it is. You're breaking the Sabbath because they were walking through the grain field, grabbing grain as they went. They were going through. They weren't staying. They were walking through. They grabbed the grain. As you guys know, around here, you can grab wheat, grab it. They were, they were rolling it in their fingers, getting rid of the chaff, popping the grain in their mouth as they went. And by the way, the law says in Deuteronomy 23, 24 through 25, it says that when you go through your neighbor's field and you're hungry, you can eat until you're full. It says you can do that but you cannot take a sickle to it. You can't go harvesting their stuff. You can glean. And the, the law of Moses provided mercy within it for people who were hungry. This is what Ruth was doing. Okay. So that's the heart of law. So they, they weren't breaking the law of Moses concerning stealing, but according to Jewish tradition in the Talmud, it says if a person rolls wheat to remove the husk, it is sifting. If he rubs the heads of wheat, it's threshing. If he cleans off the side, the side adherence, it's sifting. If he bruises the ears, it's grinding. And if he throws it up with his hands, it's winnowing. And so they're looking at it through their interpretation of scripture saying, you are guilty. And Jesus is going to take this opportunity to educate them and educate us. And so Jesus says in verse three, says, he said to them, have you not read? <laughs> I'm sure they're going to take this well. <laughs> Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? Uh, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only the priests. Didn't you read that one thing in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David was on the run from Saul and he went to Nob and Ahimelech, the high priest, he went ahead and, and let them eat because they were starving the bread of presence. Now, in the, the temple, there's the temple proper. This was in a tabernacle. But inside the temple, there was the holy place where only the priests ministered. And in there, you had the menorah with the lights. And you had the table of showbread or the bread of presence. And there were 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes. And it was replaced every Sabbath with new 12 loaves. And, that was, and, the, and the only people who were able to eat from that were the priests. 
And David was hungry, and the priests went ahead and gave that to David, and yet they didn't all drop dead. He's a de- Jesus like, what, what do you do with that exception? Have you, have you not read? And then the second example, verse 5. Where have you not read the law about how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests, uh, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And so you have David eating the bread that he shouldn't eat. And then you have priests. Listen, it's like everybody goes, ah, Sunday's a day of rest. It's like, oh, really, is it for me? You know, you study and you work and it's, it's like work. I can only imagine these guys who are in the temple doing all the sacrifices. They're killing animals. They are cleaning stuff. They're preparing stuff. They're lighting fires. They're making the bread. They're putting it out there again for the week. They're doing all that stuff. Twice as much work on a Sabbath than they are in every day. And yet they're guiltless. That's Jesus's point. What's going on there? Why is God allowing this? It's a lot of exertion going on. The point being that God is in charge of the Sabbath. It is his, and he shows mercy to David and allows the priest to minister on his Sabbath as he wills. And at that point, Jesus says to the religious leaders in verse six, he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. He just dropped a bomb. What he is saying is, in the Jewish mind, the temple is the greatest thing. It's the epicenter of their worship. Nothing is greater than the temple. This is why they wanted to kill him. He said that he said he would destroy the temple, right? Nothing is greater than the temple except for the one whom the temple is made for, except for God. And Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here. What is that? God is in your very midst. This is his point here. Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here. What they did not understand, first of all, in all of this, is that God was with them. And then he clarifies a little bit further about the nature of God in all of this. And he talks about the character of God in verse 7. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. Why? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying in a matter of words, I'm greater than the temple and I am Lord of the Sabbath. And in effect, he was letting them know that he was the judge of who was guilty of breaking the Sabbath and who was not. He's like, it's mine. I'm greater than the temple. The Sabbath is mine. I'm in charge. And you don't know the heart of God. You are all about sacrifice and you have no picture of the mercy of God in the midst of the moment. And this is Jesus's, the man-made traditions were focused on sacrifice above mercy while the character of God was mercy, not at the expense of sacrifice. Well, yeah, sacrifice, not at the expense of mercy. And we're going to see this again because he, he develops this a little further in, in verse nine. Okay. So the, the idea of God's character here about showing mercy on the Sabbath instead of law. Just want to show you this. He went on from there and he entered the synagogue. He says, and you have to love that. He just leaves that conversation to go straight into their, into their church. (laughs) He goes straight into their synagogue, right? Jesus just, he's not backing down right into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Same day, verse 10. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath 
so that they might accuse him. They know what he's going to (laughs) do. They know who he is and they want to trap him. They want to trap him. That's what they're doing. These men were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath with his disciples. And and now they're going to say he's going to break it by performing a miracle. He's going to perform work on the Sabbath. They're trying to trap Jesus. And so they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And I love Jesus's answer. He said in verse 11, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? How many of you have laws and there are laws set up for good reasons and good purposes, but you see right in front of you, someone who actually needs help. And you know that that would be a violation of the law in order to do that. How many of us do that with our religion (laughs) and dismiss the obviously obvious good that's right in front of us in attempt to appease God in some kind of legalistic fashion. That's the problem that these guys had. They didn't understand the heart of God. And Jesus turns around and he says, Hey, look, if you had a sheep and it fell in a ditch, what would you do would, on the Sabbath? What would you do? Let it sit there. No, you go down and get it out. Wouldn't you? And here Jesus flips around it of how much more value is a man than a sheep. And by the way, a man has more value than a sheep. A person is more valuable than an animal. I know that needs to be retaught in our society. And Jesus says to them of how much more is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. God's law is never meant to stop us from doing good. That goes against the very nature and character of God. It's dishonoring to God when we don't love God by loving one another. Now we can warp that and say, well, I'm going to help people every Sunday morning. And by the way, I can't go to life group anymore because I'm helping other people. You know, we can, we can twist things in our own hearts to get out of those things that we should be doing to honor God. Cause he says and lays them out, but there are exceptions when you're driving on your way to life group and the Lord's saying, go help that person. You're like, no, I've got to go worship you. Sorry. He's like, no, this, this is work. Stop help. This is it. And we see that in the, in the story of the good Samaritan. Don't we see that? How the legalist sat there and would, moved around the man at her, a man who was there because he was considered unclean. He was a Samaritan or he was a, you know, whoever he was, you know, he was someone who was unclean And the Samaritan. The guy who was not a Jew comes around and goes, I'm going to help this guy. And Jesus's point was, he's got the heart of God by you who are supposed to have the heart of God. Don't. I desire mercy above sacrifice. It's not that we don't sacrifice. It says our sacrifice is meaningless without having the heart that God intended it for. That's true worship. So here's this crippled man in their midst and they use him as a pawn to trap Jesus. They were just hoping that he would heal him so they, he, they could accuse him of violating their Sabbath traditions. And Jesus turns it all on their heads. He says it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
It's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 earlier, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not just the letter, but the spirit of the law. And we know that all the law hangs on loving the Lord God with all your mind, with your, your mind, if I've got a mind, heart, soul, and strength, right? In loving your neighbor as yourself, right? That is our aspiration as believers is, is, is to have the heart of God in us, that we would love him and love one another, not just in Sunday, not just in sacrifice or whatever it might be, but all the time. And then he said to the man, verse 13, stretch out your hand. And I love that. Jesus tells the man to do something he cannot do. <laughs> stretch out your hand. Now the man has an opportunity there to say, no, I can't stretch out my hand. Don't you see my situation here? But what does he do? He responds to Jesus and does what he says. And he heals him. It's pretty amazing. And the man stretched out his hand and he was restored healthy like the other. And I don't know if you about you, but I'd be sitting in that room going, this is awesome. How cool is that? Anybody else like, wow, Jesus, that's amazing. Or would I be on the other side going, who are you? Why are you violating the Sabbath in such a way? I don't know. I question my own heart. Sometimes the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. That's their response on how to destroy him. That's their response. You violated our traditions. You're going to die. And that's what they did. And they, they fulfilled that. They went out and conspired with the Herodians. And they also went together with the Pharisees, uh, with the Sadducees. And they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the nation was behind him. And so verse 15, as he faced that persecution, Jesus says, aware of this, he withdrew from there. It wasn't time for him. It's time to die yet. Jesus didn't willingly run into the fire when God had called him to do something else. That's, that's a little bit of wisdom. You know, he didn't go into the firing squad before it was his time. It's not my time yet. So he withdrew and many followed him. This is what people did. And he healed them all, verse 16, and ordered them not to make him known. Again, it wasn't his time yet. Verse 17, and this was to fill, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom I, my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Matthew breaks in between here as he's about to go into another accusation and Jesus withdraws. He just starts talking about Jesus and who he is. He says, man, this is, this is to fill what the Isaiah was talking about. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom I, my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now the immediate picture uh, is that, Jesus full of the spirit. And you can read about Isaiah 11, one through five about the fullness of the spirit upon Jesus. He was sent to the children of Israel. That was his target. He was sent to the children of Israel. We're going to read about it. He goes up in Syrophoenicia or somewhere up there a little bit in just a bit. And some Gentile woman comes to him and he ignores her. And, and, and he says, I've come to the, you know, should I throw scraps to the dogs? We're all kind of offended by that. 
And she goes, yeah, but like even the puppies get the food under the table. And he's like, man, your faith is awesome. You're healed. Go away. Be blessed. You know, but the immediate focus was the lost tribe of Israel. He was the shepherd of Israel. That's who he came to save first off. But what was happening is the nation would reject their Messiah. But nevertheless, as he went out with the spirit upon him, it says in verse 19, that he would not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. In other words, this is describing the demeanor of Jesus. He's not one of those televangelists that's weird and wild and wacky. He was authority under control. He was the epitome of meekness. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. He spoke the truth. And yet he was always under control. That's who he was. He was meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is authority under control. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. It's... And this speaks, obviously, the bruised reeds, the smoldering wicks, those who are barely hanging on, who have been crushed under the weight of all of this. How he ministered to them, how he touched them, and how he led them along. That's one way of looking at that. He didn't break them or quench them. He showed them God's love and power and truth, as he still does today. And to those who believe upon him, he will bring to them victory. And verse 21 says, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Uh, how many of you are Jews? Not to point you out, but not many among us. Some of you have Jewish heritage. Praise God for you. You're a bunch of Gentiles. And on his name, they shall hope. Amen. That's us. Because of Israel's rejection. We did read about this in Romans. The gospel went to the Gentiles and we read about that in Acts. It came to us. How precious the name of Jesus is to us. And it talks about these terms in in Ephesians and other places. You who are far off have been brought near. You who are away from the covenants and the promises. You are alienated from all things God. The Jews had all the information. But you've been brought near. He showed us such mercy. He brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ, brought us into the fold, grafted us in. Isn't that beautiful? What mercy he's had on us, us pagan, faraway people. How good he is. That's true. The one greater than the temple, the Lord of the Sabbath, the great savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I want to finish because there's a lot of talk about the Sabbath here. And, and if you would, just for a minute, um, I'm not going to go in depth on this in this minute, but there's confusion. Do we observe the Sabbath or not? I think in, in, if it's your conviction to observe the Sabbath, I do not think that you're in violation of, of what God would have you to do. I think there's room for that. Because it says, let no one judge you about a Sabbath day. Listen, the, the disciples were observing Sabbath for a while. You know, and 
but here's the reality of the new, new covenant. The Sabbath was a day of rep rest representing the rest of salvation's believers now have in Christ. Hebrews is a book. How many of you ladies just got blessed by the book of Hebrews last year or whenever it was? And what you see over and over in Hebrews is there's a shadow in the Old Testament and the reality is in Christ. Shadow in the Old Testament, reality in Christ. Shadow in the Old Testament, reality in Christ. And so you have things, the shadow of the high priest. There's the high priest, but he's, it was a foreshadowing of the true high priest, which is Jesus Christ. Correct? The shadow of the sacrificial lamb. But the fulfillment is Jesus Christ is the lamb. The shadow of the temple. The physical temple is a shadow of the real temple. The veil in the temple was a shadow of what was torn was actually Jesus Christ was torn. The reality is in Christ. And so you have all these shadows in the Old Testament pointing to realities in the New Testament. And so the shadow of the Sabbath, a physical day of rest from work, the substance is the rest we have in Christ. That Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf before God and those who have faith in his finished work rest, have entered the rest of God. And so Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a big context there. It says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his rest. So what he's doing there is he's taking that physical day of rest. He's saying you work six days, you have one day off. And that's to mimic God's six days of work and one day rest. And what that all is pointing towards, and this is why God takes this so seriously, the reason people died for working on the Sabbath, why did God take that so seriously? The reason for the death penalty is because God is serious about the reality that the Sabbath day foreshadowed. That you cannot earn what was given by grace through faith. You can't pick up one stick. It's all his finished work. We have faith in his finished work. We rest in his finished work. The work was all his and we simply rest in him. Those who believe have finished from their works. That's the picture there. And that faith, that rest is demonstrated now by love and obedience to Jesus. I know that's a little bit weightier of a thing. And it's, I'm taking you, we all, we're looking at a day. We're going, yeah, a day is easy for me. Six days on, one day off, I love God. But we've moved from the letter to the spirit. It's worse. It's more weightier. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I tell you, and I would say that this is part of that. When you look at the Sabbath, it's like, have you rested from your works or have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you rested from your works and have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Because that is any other way, death penalty. Any other way, separation from God for all eternity. Any other way, you don't get in. So that's, that's the reality of the picture. I know it's 
There's a lot more there. We don't have time to go into it deeply, but I hope to talk to you more about that. And again, there are those who want to honor the Lord by having a day or all those types of things. And I would say, if that's your, your heart for the Lord, if you want to abstain from food, add food, man, you worship him according to the knowledge he's given you. And I don't want to stumble you in that. So I think there's a heart there as well. But the new covenant is awesome. The freedom we've been given in the Lord Jesus, not freedom to sin. And this is the, the hard part when you're communicating this to someone in, in that, hey, you don't have to keep that day. They go, well, that's not honoring God. And I, and I would say to that person, okay, if that's where you are, continue in your journey with the Lord. But the reality is, have you entered into the rest now with Jesus Christ? It is every day that you have with Christ and you're to be spirit led, not legal led. That's a harder walk. It's not just, I tell you not to murder someone. It's don't murder them in your heart. <laughs> it's not the six days, one day off. It's, are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? So there's a lot there and I probably could hash it out a little better in front of you, but I would encourage you to chat with me and, and dialogue with me about that because it's so precious and so good. And the rest is yours in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. And yes, it is a picture of the future rest we have too. Can't wait for that. Amen. Amen. And so much to ponder. Lord, thank you so much for the Sabbath you have given those who believe. And may we not be as those who died in the wilderness through unbelief, who did not enter into the land. And by the way, Joshua did not give them rest. But Yeshua has. You have brought us into peace with God through your blood through your sacrifice, through your resurrection. Lord, that we were all guilty and we were all condemned, but your grace, your mercy came through in the form of your son. May we not have the heart, God, may I not have the heart of the Pharisees that rejects the very mercy that was extended to us by you. May we receive it wholeheartedly. May we enter your rest and enjoy the rest we have in you every day. And God, I pray that we would continue to grow in our love for you and our love for one another as evidence of that change. I pray that the tree of this church, the tree of the people in this church would bear good fruit unto you. And so, Lord, have your way in our heart. Be Lord of our heart, God, today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Amen.